don't be an idiot like I was and try and keep this hobby in the closet. Um, the world is over it. If you're my age, you probably do have real hesitation that people will judge you. And I think most, most people won't. If you say the real life ends up your days And you don't have time to play Well, midlife is the best time to start a new role-playing phase And you need a rescue Chase coming at you with a rescue A role-play rescue Chase gonna help my friend Let's sit down the game again my name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello, rescuers, and a big welcome to any first-time listeners. Roleplay Rescue is primarily about encouraging the lapsed role-playing game enthusiast, those of us who perhaps played Dungeons & Dragons sometime in the past, to come back to the gaming table. Today, my guest is just that, a lapsed role-player who has found a path back to play but perhaps not by the traditional route. It's a great honour for me to welcome one of the most creative minds in the community to tell us a little bit about himself and the fantastic project he's been working on in recent months. This might just be the nudge someone out there needs to pick up some dice and roll them. This is Season 7, Episode 18, Tale of the Manticore, with John. My guest today is John, the creator of Tale of the Manticore, a dark fantasy Dungeons & Dragons audio drama. Frankly, John is a bit of a mystery. I know he hails from Toronto in Canada, and that he's a teacher by day. Judging from the work he's done on his own podcast, John is also a talented musician and an audio engineer. He was generous-hearted enough to invite me to take part in Tale of the Manticore, and I know from listening that he's a talented writer and an experienced gamer. But other than that, John remains enigmatic enough that I decided to invite him onto the show. So thanks for joining us, John, and welcome to Roleplay Rescue. Let's peel back the layers. Yeah, let's peel back the layers of the onion and find there's nothing in the middle. <laughs> I doubt that very much. Before we even get into anything, I just want to say, while you're recording, um, what a big fan I am of your show and how, like, delighted I am to be here and to be talking with you finally. Um, when I first discovered your show, it is just one of those rare, rare moments where I felt like, oh my God, this guy is, he's made this show just for me because it was such a bullseye, like for where I was, I was exactly the, the guy that I think I was like the target audience, you know, when mm -hmm. corporations make up an actual fake person that represents their target audience, that was like, that was me. I was like out of the hobby for ages and wanting to get back in, didn't know how to do it. Um, that, that's, that's how my podcast got born. But anyway, thank you so much for making your show. It, I've, I've enjoyed it so much and, and continue to. Bloody welcome. I, I just witter into the mic and <laughs> you, you do know. it well you do it well i mean i think uh you've got quite a quite a large following now too so you must be doing something right in a recent blog post uh you've just revealed that you got into D, &D at around about age 12 
and you credit that game as well with having kind of a really big role in your life in a way that perhaps you haven't necessarily acknowledged before so i wanted to start by asking you how did you get into dungeons and dragons Mm -hmm. so i thought about this a lot lately uh, just because all of the memories are flooding back as i've re-entered the hobby and i think i was probably about 12 years old i could be off by a year my brother had bought the um the Moldvay purple purple box uh, edition, so-called purple box, which is I think one before the uh, ubiquitous red box that everyone seems to know. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of this uh, this real book that was like uh, three ring binder punched, so that I think the idea was that you took it apart and then interleafed it with the expert rule book, which nobody ever did. And uh, anyway, my brother bought this stuff and. Um, I don't know why he let me play because as brothers pretty close in age typically are, we were not, you know, best friends or anything like that. Anyway, uh, we ended up playing, trying to play keep on the borderlands. And uh, I remember um, being completely mystified by the game. I didn't get it at all. I, my knowledge of games until then was like checkers, I thought that turns and rounds were my turn and your turn and rounds around a table of gameplay. I didn't understand that they were denoting, you know, time segments of time or measurements of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that uh, I I remember I pronounced melee melee for years because Mm -hmm. it was a word I didn't know. And that's how it looked like it should be pronounced. And I found out, um, kind of to my shock later on that I had been saying it wrong the whole time. <laughs> and the art, I think it was the art that did it for me. I think that's a lot of people's story too, right? It's that Errol Otis and Jeff D artwork that mm-hmm. really just pulled me in. I, I got to say the Errol Otis stuff is, it's not just that it's good, but it's so heavily stylized. I wonder if that was a difficult decision for, from TSR. Um, it almost looks like, like a lino cut or a woodblock cut. It's not, it just kind of has that style to it mm. where shadows are emphasized like so, like it's such high contrast stuff. Anyway, it hooked me as a kid, fired my imagination. And that was like, that was like my first heroine hit of Dungeons and Dragons that I have always chased and never gotten back uh, since. Mm. Actually, I wonder if other people have that feeling too, that they're always trying to regain that first feeling of wonder and empowerment and all that stuff that you get from the game when you're a kid. Uh, it's, it's always good, but it's never that. I don't know if you can relate yeah. or if I'm talking the crazy talk. Yeah. I know you're not talking the crazy talk. My first wonder, if you, you probably know, is the RuneQuest right uh, second edition rule book it's the cover of that that particular piece of artwork and then yeah the description of glorantha and it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of like two i think two columns or maybe of text like on a page uh that summarizes like this entire overview of a world and just sucks you right in yeah and um i mean i'm doing it right now actually i've been spending time rereading that mm-hmm. and um yeah it awakens something but it's not obviously you're not you know, as I was there about nine or 10 years old, you know, you're not that anymore. So you're never quite there. However, I think it's more than nostalgia. I think it is more than nostalgia because I don't feel that way about anything else from that time in my life. 
And most of the things that I did back then, I have no interest in doing again, you know, like tra Transformers. I'm, I'm of the age where like He-Man figures, Transformer toys, we had all that stuff. Mm -hmm. G.I. Joe's, the little yeah. ones. We yeah. had all that stuff. Uh, when we were kids, we played with them. No part of me wants to collect that. I mean, I imagine some people do, but it. Mm. I loved it then. Don't care anymore. But but D and D is different somehow. I, and I have given a lot of thought as to what it is. I don't know what it is. Mm. Um, I don't even know to like what degree I was really role playing as a child. It just. Mm. It it was such. A, I think you've used the word like other world immersion a lot on your show. Mm -hmm. It was it was that, and it was just so powerfully that. Mm. Yeah, but I I don't think I was you know making sophisticated characters or anything. I think I made very cartoonish characters as a kid. Um, but yeah, still no difference. Just even just reading the books, like I would have fun reading modules. I, I'm sure I read ten times as many as I played. Mm. You know. But even even just that, even reading stuff, planning for stuff, mapping out a dungeon, mm -hmm. all of that was good stuff. It, you didn't have to be playing even. Yeah, uh, and I think that that is part of the the magic of it, isn't it? This, um, it's 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 not a creative process that just happens at the table with your friends. It's going on in a wider sort of, um, yeah, the wider sort of life that you have and. For me, it, it just swallows up so much of my time um, in a mm. wonderful way. So, in a wonderful um, way, exactly, yeah. Especially yeah. like now more than ever, right? Mm. Not that we necessarily have more time, but well, no, I guess I do. I guess I do have more time. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, during lockdown here in the UK, you know, I spent five months at home, sort of trying to teach some stuff, you know, remotely, um, and. And yeah, kind of just being exhausted by that on the one hand, and on the other hand, just revitalized by going back into these fantasy worlds, and um, yeah. and then having the opportunity to talk to some wonderful people about the hobby over the last few months as well. So um, I think the more I spend time talking to other gamers, the more I realize how rich this hobby is, and um, you know, it's kind of I don't know, it's part of part of why I keep doing this podcast as well. Is this look, guys? Seriously, this thing is bigger than. You know, it's not just a game. I'm right. fed up with being told, you know, well, it's just a game. Um, anyway. No, no. Can Candyland <laughs> is just a game. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you told us a little bit about the origins of that then. So uh, how long did you persist in the hobby as a kid? Not too, not long. Uh, mm. So from about age 12 to maybe 16 years old. Mm -hmm. But I, I remember I did have some uh, buddies that like a, a bunch of, misfit high schoolers would sort of like have a closet game going. I don't think we talked about it with mm. anybody else. We just kind of hid in. We had the, this one friend that had his own apartment. He was mm -hmm. like 18 and had moved out early. So we would go there and the place like was, it stank and there were old pizza boxes around and a bunch of misfits that barely even talked in school. Yeah, Like we weren't friends in school, but we were all, we all had this a shared closet <laughs> interest in D and D, uh, but that didn't last too long. I think maybe a couple of years into high school, yeah. and we were done because very very quickly. And if your audience members are my age, they'll know that there was a very 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 powerful stigma uh, to gaming back then. 
much less now, I think still around, but much less now. Um, so it was a secret and eventually it was an unmaintainable secret. And I had to choose between having uh, girls in my life or playing the game. And so I chose girls and, uh, left the game for decades. Yeah. Okay. That's a story I can relate to. I made the other mm. choice, um, <laughs> for a long while. Uh, but there you go. Who chose wiser though? That's the, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Um, my wife, know. my wife would take issue with that claim, but, um, yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, you came out of it when you were about 16. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, you alluded to this, but when did you come back? Yeah. So I came back a few months ago, to be honest. Um, it never, it never left my mind. Like, mm-hmm. like people talk about heroin, you know, you have the first hit, you never forget it. You chase it forever. You can <laughs> never get over it. Uh, I haven't tried heroin, so I can't actually say if this is true or not. Uh, but I never forgot about it. And I always had a novel, like, a, I, you know, I read all the Forgotten Realms novels and I read all the Salvatore novels, everything I could get my hands on, mm-hmm. uh, good and bad. I, I watched the movies eventually, much later, Game of Thrones came out. That kind of brought it back because it was mm-hmm. so very good, at least the first few were. And weirdly, it seems to be very hard to do fantasy well because there wasn't a lot of very good mm. fantasy in terms of novels and movies and stuff. Um, although there was always, it was always there, but a lot of it was really, really bad. Uh, I, I had it anyway. Like pizza, even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. Uh, so I gobbled up everything to kind of have a surrogate existence of that that fantasy whatever in my mm. in my life. Um, always kind of closeted, and then uh, I discovered podcasts. Uh, I discovered the Adventure Zone. That's like a cliche now, isn't it? To have gotten into podcasts through um, the McElroy brothers. And anyway, when they did the Adventure Zone, um, I realized like, wow, this this can be more than just uh, a joke. Like, it can be really moving. Have you yeah. have you actually listened to the Adventure Zone? I haven't. I must confess. Mm-hmm. I would. I have to highly, highly write. Like, it's so good. Those boys are geniuses. I think they really, they really like tap a very deep well. While like, it's a comedy show, mm. but. That's not all it is. Um, I know that Critical Role had started a few years ago, and I think Mm. I tried it five or six or seven or eight times, Mm. and I couldn't couldn't find the appeal. It's like the most popular thing ever, and Mm. I just don't get, I just don't get it. Like, it must be great, because people love it. I don't know, people love you too, and I don't understand that either, so I don't know. But yeah, I I got back into games last February. Mm -hmm. So what's that, like nine months? Not even eight months ago? All right. So um, yeah, what was the the change then? What flipped the switch? It wasn't COVID, although COVID accelerated everything for me. Mm. It was... It was discovering uh, the the actual plays in podcasts because Mm. finding Adventure Zone made me look for everything else that I could possibly get. And so I started downloading mm. everything at random, just mm. just sampling so much that I actually started to keep a list. And I was just trying to find 
um, anything that resembled my childhood games, basically. Hmm. Uh, and I found exactly one, um, and it's called The Iron Realm. And right. it's a guy who does a solo game, and it's old school. I didn't care about old school 5e. Yeah. What I didn't care at all. I just wanted something that was not goofy. Uh, the Adventure Zone is so, totally goofy, but I was looking mm. for something that like, was like the games I played. Anyway, so I found The Adventure Zone. I thought, yes, mm, this is so good. Can I find more? So I was, you know, devouring that stuff as fast as the guy could make it. Um, and I just wanted more. And I just didn't, I just couldn't find more. It turned out that that one was kind of, kind of it mm. in terms of a non for the purpose of comedy D&D podcast. Mm. And uh, yeah, it came to the point where I would like download a, a show at random, if it had dice in the name or whatever, <laughs> I would listen to about I don't know, usually a minute or two, and then mm -hmm. they would get to their character, they introduce the characters, which mercifully always comes at the beginning of the first episode. <laughs> and it was always, 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 I'm playing an owl bear ninja, you know, with a pet tarantula <laughs> named Maurice, and delete, <laughs> and the next, and then that again, and again, and again, and again. And eventually, I was, I started thinking, well, I guess I could make one. Right. And that's, and so then I did, and I tried to do it in secret because I didn't want my partner to know I had this dark passenger. Okay. And then COVID hit and I could not do that anymore because we were living in our tiny apartment together. And so then I came out of the closet, which is a really strange thing that I did not expect to be doing. And I told my partner that I was a fantasy game enthusiast. Right. And I thought, oh, she's, she's not going to take this well. But of course, I was an idiot and she took it fine. I hadn't kind of, you know, formally in my head realized how recent your episodes are. But yeah, episode zero is the 14th of April. Yeah, yeah. I, there, it's it's uh, still a baby. The show mm. is still a baby. Um, and yet, you know, as of today, 19 episodes up there. 19 episodes are out and I'm currently, um, I don't know if writing is the word, writing slash playing episode 29. So when you start, I mean, I think so, I remember some discussion on this and you start to sort of touch on that how you came to do Telemanticore. But I think in the early episodes, I think it's in the early episode, there might just be in my imagination or maybe remembering some email conversation or whatever. But I think mm. it was in an early episode, you discussed kind of why you're doing it and what you're about. And um, it was this thing about, like you've just talked about, that you know there wasn't anything out there that like what you wanted to do and you should do mm. it. But you also wanted a very specific experience. You wanted uh, a serious game, um, but you wanted it to be a game, but you also wanted to sort of blend in this sort of you know the dramatic narrative approach. Um, and for those who haven't listened to Taylor Manticore, who obviously need to, because um, it is one of my favourite things, um, oh, I just absolutely love the show. Um, but for those who don't know, you know what you've got here is um, a narrative that is obviously um, you know constructed and scripted from a gaming experience, mm. and then sort of with it, you know, there's this fantastic music I've underlaid um, through it, which as I'm beginning to understand you've created. And there is also 
you know, this explanatory um, process that you go through as well. So, you know, in the early episodes, you're talking about what game you're playing and how you're approaching it and how you're running it and some of the decisions you're making. And as you go through different scenes when decisions have to be made, you know, you, you kind of come out of the narrative and you share with us the process. And mm. it's that blend and that moving and shifting that just makes it so fascinating. But how did you come up with that? I mean, that's genius. But, you know, presumably, I mean, presumably you, you figured this one out. Uh, tell us about it. How did you get there? I'm, I'm figuring it out. It's, um, and it's evolving a bit. And I, I, I do feel like I kind of have stumbled into something. I don't want to think like no one's done this before. They probably have. Yeah. Um, I describe it as a semi-actual play. Um, how did I, how did this happen? So I, wa I wanted to do this solo game and I wanted it to have a narrative uh, component, which mm. like you said, would be like as if a game had been played. And then I was then telling the sort of novelization of that game. Mm. Somebody had at some point asked me if they could get a copy of the original game. And I had mm. to tell them that actually there is no original game. The process is very much like I keep dice at the side of the computer and then mm. whenever a situation comes up, um, I make a decision about how, how that's going to play out, roll the dice and like the game and the writing are simultaneous. Mm. And uh, I also knew that a lot of aud audience members, potential audience members, actually I never kind of expected to have more than like two people listen. Um, I, I hoped of course. Uh, yeah. as I think everybody who puts something into the world does. Mm. Um, but I thought, well, if it's a 5e world, people might not understand how uh, the OSR stuff works. And so I should explain uh, mm. how it goes. And luckily, basic D&D &D is so simple. It really does lend itself to sort of like being very quickly explained, which is one of the reasons I'm using it and not sort mm. of like 5e or actually, I've never played 5e. I'd love to try, um, <laughs> but I didn't want to do uh, like advanced or second edition, which is where I stopped um, because they're just a little too rules heavy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if, if somebody was like, what is the show? I would say it's like a semi-actual play or like sandbox fiction writing. I don't know. I didn't expect it to develop the way it has. You know, I think it was about... Um, episode four or five when I realized, oh, I, I could do like a flashback, yeah. which doesn't, has never existed in any game I've, I've played. I, I think some people probably do do that kind of thing, mm -hmm. especially if they're heavy into the role play. Um, but I realized like, oh, I could do that and not, I could depart from my character, my main characters, my player characters. And so I tried it and I thought, oh, that, that kind of worked. And then I realized I can do things like um, POV shifts to like the antagonists point, like things that novels do basically. Yeah. I was like, well, I should play to the strengths of, like if there's a limitation in what I'm doing in that there's, there's no improv and there's no, and it's not funny or anything like, so if these are limitations, then I could maybe lean into the strengths, which would be like, it's, it's produced slowly and kind of deliberately and I have a lot of time to think about it and I can use the tricks that writers use like, mm. like a flashback, like a POV shift, like mm. foreshadowing, like irony. I can do these things that 
like a game master would be heavily tasked to insert real irony into a game because it's yep. on the fly, right? Yeah. Um, but as a semi-novelization, I, I, can, I can do that stuff, which is kind of fun. And I didn't expect any of that to come into the podcast when I started. And I'm, I really feel like I'm still exploring this space whatever the hell it is i'm not sure what it is it's um it's a hybrid thing right it's a it's a kind of yeah, yeah it's a hybrid did i answer your question <laughs> sort of and you know there's a number of follow-ups coming so essentially what we're talking about here is you started kind of playing solo yeah kind of although there would never have been a solo game without the podcast yeah. i had to be making a thing yeah, like like I wouldn't write a song and then not record it kind of yeah. thing. Just to help me um, get this clear in my mind is that what you're doing is you're sitting down to write. Um, so I presume either with a pen and paper or, or in front of a computer. I'd like to imagine that yeah. you're sitting there with a pen and paper. Uh, I don't know why, why um, but I just do. Um, and, um, <laughs> and yet, you know, and as you come to a, a moment in the game, you're then turning to you know, your BX rulebook you know, your basic expert rulebook, which is, you know, for those who don't know, that's the, but the basis of the, of the rules system that you're using. And you're either rolling the dice within the, the bounds of those rules to help you decide the outcome, or you're making a decision like a GM would really, you know, at the table, kind of a little bit of a DM fiat thing going on. Often with you, it seems to me that what you do is you go, I'm going to give it to the dice. I'm going to decide it'll be like this or like, you know, like on this roll on that, mm -hmm. and another roll on. You know, so it's that kind of dice driven. I'm going to let the dice decide, but I'm sort of, you know, on the fly deciding how I'm going to work that out. So is that is that reasonably accurate as a kind of description of your process? Yeah, that's basically it. I'll sort of like, just like a, D, a GM would, I will, here's, here's your situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you open the door, you enter the room. This is this is what you see, uh, except I'm using the third person instead of the second person uh, when I'm describing it. And then kind of uh, maybe switch hats, take off the GM hat, put on the collective characters hats. Okay, what's the reaction to whatever they've seen? It just what would they logically do? What would I do if I was the player? Mm. And then the GM hat goes back on and it's like, okay, well, we're going to have to roll some dice to see if you're successful in whatever you're trying to do. So it, it is kind of playing all roles with the majority of important, the majority of important decisions, or maybe all important decisions either left to die roles or what the characters would do in that situation. Mm. Um, and they're all, all the characters are a little bit different. So they might, they might react in a different way um, given the circumstance. Yeah. To me, it's fascinating because, um, you know, as a person who's tried to solo game, uh, what you're doing specifically is kind of, I think, what I've I've always wanted to go and do. You know, that whole thing of imagining mm -hmm. the audience and, and, and sort of writing it as if you're writing it to an audience. But, of course, you always think, mm -hmm. well, that's the most, well, I think. As, please don't say this is an insult. That would be the most narcissistic thing I could do, right? That's what I think. That's oh, like it is. It is. Hey, it is narcissistic. I think all of us are. All artists are are narcissistic, right? Yes. So, yeah, whether you're so. a musician or a painter or whatever, yeah. Typically, like if you're on a desert island, you're not doing those things. Mm. The audience is a part of it, or at least the imagined audience is a part of it. 
just putting aside that you know like obviously the writing and the gaming for a second how did all the music stuff come about then so you obviously have some musical talent john well i have a musical experience well right. i'll give you that um yeah like so i mentioned that i didn't intend to make a podcast at first i really just wanted to find a bunch of ones like that like that yeah. were serving up that very specific dish and it was only until I realized there almost was none of it that I started doing it myself. So there, some of the things that came together to sort of make me make the decision to do the show was that like all of the, I had no reason not to, I need some music. Well, I can, I can get it for free and I, I can make it. Mm. Uh, I have a studio and oh, well, maybe the sound quality won't be good. Well, it, it should be at least okay. I, I have a, a background as in sound engineering. Mm. And so like, like, it was the perfect hobby or the perfect thing to make for me, just given mm. uh, where I come from. And yeah, I used, I used to be, uh, before I was a teacher, I was um, a bass player in a metal band. Fantastic. Hey. <laughs> It was pretty good. <laughs> Rock and roll. Yeah, I was I was one of those very 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 lucky buggers who, um, not just luck. We tried very hard. We actually scored an American record deal back when, you know, record deals were there to be signed. I think that may have become extinct as well. Um, mm -hmm. Napster might have seen to that, but uh, yeah, back in the uh, at the turn of the millennium my my metal band got signed to a major label and we did the whole ride and it was not it wasn't successful enough to last more than a couple of years so we, yeah we got on the roller coaster took a really quick amazing ride and then we got off the roller coaster thank you very much now you can be a high school teacher <laughs> fantastic <laughs> the music you know because the music just is is wonderful in terms of what it adds to it as well you know and there's all this and and all these little decisions you've made as well like i mean one of my favorites being that when you enter combat you get that wonderful computer game style entering combat you know and and a bit of guitar and what have you um yeah would you like a bit of a bit of trivia that one's actually got an inspiration uh the entering combat actually came from my hearing the aquaman theme like it's not oh, right. a ripoff, but that's where the idea, yeah, every time Aquaman kind of enters the scene, <laughs> there's this like super detuned guitar riff. And I was like, mm, I'm going to do that now. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, coming back into, um, you know, what you've been doing with that then, how has it felt? I mean, have you managed to um, reinvoke the true sort of the fantasy that you were looking for in the last few months? Almost in, in a sense. Tale of the Manticore is the game that I've been missing. It's certainly mm. the closest, the closest I've gotten to recapturing um, some of the feelings that I had when I was a kid. I kind of, I know I'm doing things right, and I feel like I'm not always hitting the mark, but I know mm. that I'm getting close to the mark if I start getting the that that sort of sensation of being a kid and having. Um, those rule books in my hands and just being happy, being alone, reading those rules. If I get that sensation, then I, I feel like I'm doing something right. And I try and do more of that. Again, I don't always hit it. Uh, but there, there's a new aspect too, because 
um, now that I'm an older old man, um, there's the aspect of uh, adding like real drama, which as a mm. child, I didn't care about at all, but now I do. And so if I can write a portion where I feel like I can feel something when I'm writing it, mm. um, then I feel like, oh, this, sometimes I, I get the feeling, and again, it's not all the time, but sometimes I get the feeling like, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna be good. Mm. Um, I don't know how much I wanna spoil anything for anybody who's not caught up, uh, but there's a couple of moments where maybe something really terrible has happened to one of the main characters in the show, um, where I feel like I, I have struck a, a good chord where like, I can, I can feel it, and I've heard from uh, some listeners that they can feel it. So it seems to be resonating in some way successfully the way I intended it to. We're talking about the Goblin's Cave, aren't we? There's a, there's a few times. There's a, something <laughs> with Soli. It's so early on, I feel like I yep. can spoil it and nobody's going to be affected. Uh, but when the first PC death happens, mm. which is the kind of the ruins under the tower, it's kind of like, I guess, sequence one it let's explore a small dungeon it's like the five it's like a classic five room dungeon and at the very end of it there is um i guess it's it's actually a very weak adversary but the players are extremely weak so it kind of mm. it balances out into a challenge uh one of the characters dies and uh the music that you hear is not mine about a third maybe half of the music that i use is mm copyright free music that I get where yeah. everyone gets their copyright free music. And yeah, when, when I sort of put it all together and I, I yeah, I, actually I felt, I felt something, which is weird because normally I don't feel anything when I write fiction or music or anything like that. But in this case I did. And I thought, Oh, there, there's something, there's something here. Um, and although I was really sad to lose this character, like I, f I felt that loss the way a, a player character feels that loss of, of any mm. character. We all, we all know what that is. Um, I was also kind of happy because I thought anybody who's listening and thinking that I'm making this up, maybe, maybe <laughs> this is required to, to make the stakes feel real. If yeah. that, if that makes some sense. Yeah, it does. And I think that's something that, um, probably most dungeon masters would understand as well. There is a, almost a need to allow sometimes the dice to decide that. And so everybody knows that yeah. the dice are sovereign in that kind of decision. Right, because if, no, if there's no danger, and if mm. there's no, um, sometimes, you know, by an example of, of a character dying, if that's what the, you know, random chance uh, decides, if there's no stake, then it's unexciting, right? Then you're just kind of like, what, what are we doing? It's not really an adventure game. It, I guess yeah. it's um, something else. For me, though, the, the, the emotion of it and the, the fact that you can evoke that, and, and I mean, you know, for me, one of the big ones, I'll, you know, I mentioned the Goblin's Cave thing, which I won't spoil for listeners, but you know, for me, it was a really, really powerful kind of uh, sequence. There's a series of two or three episodes i think where essentially that they're mm -hmm. involved in this and and towards the end of that there's some really powerful scenes for, for me that's what hit me about the 
part of the, the next thing I really want to talk to you about, which is the value of role playing. But actually, for me, that the evocative mm. nature of this um, this hobby, you know, this particular approach to things. So, yeah, that was the thing I wanted to ask you about. Is like, what have you discovered about the value of it over the last few months for you on a personal level? I think it would have been super valuable just to my self-satisfaction to have this mm. narrative happening in my life. It's something I've wanted for, mm. um, well, literally decades now. I've wanted to come back to the, mm. to the game. Um, and if it weren't for COVID, I would have found a live table by now for sure. Mm. Mm. Um, but with COVID, um, this narrative has really, I don't want to say kept me sane. That's hyperbole. It hasn't, I wouldn't have gone insane but it's really given me like something to do, something to think about, something to uh, work on, some goals to hit, small ones and big ones, uh, mm. at a time where sometimes you're indoors for a long time and sometimes there's nothing to do. And um, so having this thing to make in this story, because I'm finding out what happens just a little bit ahead of everyone else, but I don't know, like. I don't know how it's going to happen, so I'm interested to know. It's just given me an extra facet to life at a time where you badly need an extra facet to life. And it happens to be exactly the thing that I love, which is a D&D game. Actually, I, I even joined a Roll20 game. Um, I'd sort of been hesitating to do the virtual thing, mm. um, partly just because I have a terrible internet connection at home. I joined an all-text one on Roll20, and uh, although it's really it is it is a limited thing mm. um that's been really fun too actually i think i found the right group a bunch of people that never like never break character never yeah. i don't i don't know their age or gender or anything they never break character <laughs> all right so let's just let's just talk about a little bit about the sort of the if you don't mind i'm gonna i'm really nosy so i have two kind of major questions they're more on the personal side of things really so you you mentioned earlier that you know there came a point where you had to confess to the partner mm. so um how did that go so i i was hiding it like it was a drug problem for ages <laughs> uh and she knew that i was doing something because I would be sitting in my studio, which is not uncommon at all. I'd, mm -hmm. I often in there writing music or whatever. Uh, but she could hear the little mosquito noise through the headphones of talking. Yeah. So she knew that I was doing something that wasn't music, but I guess she was giving me my space and yeah. not really bugging me too much about it. Uh, but eventually it became so difficult to do it and keep it a secret that I just I just told her and it went, I was expecting, I wasn't expecting her to like throw dishes at me and storm out of the house, but I wasn't <laughs> expecting her to not understand and not love it yeah. and not think that I was cooler because of it. Um, I guess we've been together for long enough that she already yeah. knows that I'm not cool, but I guess I was deluding myself that she might think I was a little bit. Luckily, she knows that I'm not at all. And so she was, not only was she like fine with it, but she asked if she could do a character. And so um, she ended up voicing Eridine. Mm. Um, she was actually my first, and at the time I figured probably only ever voice actor. Mm. I, had, I didn't have any ideas to like 
start bringing in people from uh, the community, the podcasting community, uh, which I've been doing more and more lately. Mm. Um, and we would sit and listen to it together and she would, you know, make some uh, comments about it and what was good and what wasn't. It, she would, turned out to be a fantastic sounding board for me. Um, it turns out that at the end of the day, she's way more into like basketball than Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, and hey, bless her, because that's normal. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, I, you know, we, I had the suspicions from day one that, you know, uh, Aradine was being played by somebody close to yeah. you. Um, uh -huh. But it's kind of wonderful to hear that side of the story and, uh, and pick up on that. And of course, now the accusation is that she's got plot immunity, right? Ah, but, but she doesn't. She absolutely doesn't. There's, and again, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a point fairly recently, and this is a, this is a minor spoiler, I suppose, where she um, somehow loses her voice. Uh, I don't know if you're caught up enough in the story to know what I'm talking about, but at some point she loses her voice. And when that happened, I thought, oh, I wonder if people will think that I've lost a friendship or lost a relationship or <laughs> somehow a voice had become unavailable and that I was yeah. now engineering the situation. But actually, not at all. She's mm. perfectly happy to continue doing it. It's just that this is where the story went. And mm. um, I decided from the start, like, I must, I must follow the story where it goes and never, 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 like no fudging of dice or like all of that stuff. It has to be 100% pure because otherwise, what the hell am I doing if it's not 100% true? Yeah, I guess at that point, you you've sort of made the transition into being an author or a scriptwriter. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, it is that mashup. That's what I think is so wonderful about it. So um, that's good. Okay. Last thing then, really, um, I wanted to just ask you about, you know, someone sitting there at home listening to Roleplay Rescue, bless them. Mm -hmm. um, what do you want to say to them if they're not yet there, they're not yet playing? My, it's hard for me to give people advice on how to come back to the table because I haven't quite figured it out myself yet. Oh, janitorial staff is just coming in here. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I haven't really quite figured that out myself yet. Um, Roll20 is better than nothing, I guess. I don't mm. think it replaces a real table. So as soon as we as a planet figure out how to deal with the, the virus and come back to life, that's what I plan to do is, is find a, a game with humans around a table. Um, that's something that I, that I miss. If anybody wanted to kind of solo play at least the way i do mm. um i think that there's a few ways to do it um from the very very simple to the very very complex there's a, a system called is it mythos is that what it's called um a gm emulator system oh mythic mythic thanks um which i'd never heard of uh when i started doing the show um and just kind of, I think a listener had emailed me to say like, oh, do you use Mythic? Yeah. Um, and I said, what's that? And discovered it and it's, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Like I, I would, I would try that. Um, there's also, you can make it as simple as like having a, a single uh, six-sided die and just kind of like 
play the GM, play your character or characters, and whenever uh, a chance opportunity comes up, then you roll the die and it's kind of like a one is an extreme no and a two is a no and, mm -hmm. and a three is a no but, and kind of so on and so forth, mm -hmm. all the way up to the other end of the spectrum. It can be that simple and then you just use your imagination to fill out the rest and it i think that that is enough even as simple as a simple a system as that mm. is enough to drive a game however I've, I've already admitted to you that i i don't really consider myself a solo gamer which is kind of weird because i have a solo game podcast <laughs> but i i wouldn't play it if i wasn't making the thing Here, here's something i'll say to your listeners Make a podcast. Make a semi-actual play podcast. I'll listen to it. Awesome. I want. I want more. It's it's actually a, like a rich, rich way of storytelling that I could see like being a thing because it it's like there's a lot of room to play in this space. Lots. I've got to be honest with you, John. I thought about it. Do it. Do it. The thing that holds me back is yours is so good. It would just be like. Do it. Yeah, you know, the mu no, but seriously, the music and, and the way in which it's sort of like constructed is just if, so good. If you made one, that it would just be it would just be more good. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Uh, for starters, I've never been a bassist in a metal band, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a requirement, isn't it? Oh, yeah, maybe. But what a, what a fantastic thing to suggest because I think you know, like with the, especially if we're here with the anchor community that I'm part of as well, where you know mm -hmm. it's so easy to make a podcast now. To put your voice out here is easy. I mean, you know, even I can do it. So, um, yeah, what an interesting thing to suggest, actually. You know, like if you want to play, just get online and play and then, you know, record it. Yeah, let make make one, get out there. Yeah. And, like, if, if any of your listeners have been thinking about it, yeah, absolutely do it. It's, it's one of the most rewarding things I've done mm. in quite some time. I'm so happy and no plans to stop. For me, it's really interesting to hear you say it because I think that, you know, I keep coming to solo gaming, but I always end up kind of like stuck because I, I feel like, why am I doing this? Um, you know, I, mm -hmm. if I'm, if I'm going to like be creating a game, then I do actually have players, you know, I do actually have people I know who want to game with me. Um, right. Especially since I've been doing this mad podcast thing. Um, you know, prior to podcasting, my group had reduced to two people and even they were getting mm -hmm. flaky because I was so rubbish. But post-podcast, you know, um, there's maybe like, I don't know, five people who want to play with me now, which is fantastic. Yeah. So, um, so there's always that kind of, in my mind you know, as, a, as somebody who is gaming and we're doing a lot online and it kind of I've figured out how to do all of that that that's absolutely fine but there is something rich about doing your own thing as well you know that whenever you're collaborating with other people obviously what you create is subject to that collaboration whereas doing your own thing allows you to purely do the thing you want to do in the way you want to do it and with your vision so yeah, I think it may. Be, I, I mean, this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. Is I feel like you have cracked onto something that is genuinely unique within our community. There isn't another podcast like Tale of Manticore. People do need to go and listen to it. And I, I think it's wonderful to hear you say, "Yeah, come on, join in." Oh, make more. I'll, I'll be your fan. Role play rescue listeners, make one. Uh, you need a fan. I'm I'm first in line. I will listen to your podcast. <laughs> 
I'd just like to wrap up by asking, what is it that you really wanted to say? Is there anything that you'd like to say to uh, your fellow listeners over here who are, you know, role players? Yeah, a couple, I guess a couple things. Um, one is I, I have to say a big thank you to uh, anybody who's listened to my show, anybody who has um, given me a chance past episode zero, which I'm not embarrassed about, but it's one of the, I guess, weaker ones um, because I was learning how to do it. And so they do get kind of better by leaps and bounds. So for those listeners that kind of stuck with me while I was learning how to make the show, thank you so much. Um, and to people like you, podcasters, artists, other role players, people that have reached out to me and have participated in the show, either by doing a voice or naming a character or uh, making suggestions or criticisms, especially criticisms, um, I really want to uh, give my appreciation and for people that leave a review on iTunes. Mm. Wow, thank you so much. I wish I could personally um, thank them, but sometimes I don't know how to get in touch with them. So um, I want to just say like, I appreciate all of those people, all of those things. And man, this is so much fun to put together and, and to see it kind of come alive. It feels mm. like I'm watching something come alive and to have other people like yourself uh, be a big part of it and I'm really curious to see where your part goes. I hope it goes. I hope it goes further. It's good where it went, but I hope it goes further. There's certainly potential there. Um, I just want to say thank you. And then, yeah, for for anyone else, I guess my other message is: uh, don't be an idiot like I was and try and keep this hobby in the closet. Um, the world is over it. If you're my age, you probably do have real hesitation that people will judge you. And I think. Most, most people won't. To be honest, as a teacher, I still don't really want my staff to know that I'm doing this. I don't think they'll get it because they're old too. Uh, young people don't care anymore. Mm. So if you're, if you're kind of embarrassed as I was in the closet, as I was about the hobby, by and large, it's, it's a wasted energy. You don't, have to, you don't have to hide it just for your listening audience, I want everyone to know that there is a rat uh, over your uh, right shoulder that I can yep. see scampering about. Yeah, this is, Folks, this it's is, true. It's not, it's not made up at all. This is George, I think. Of course it is. <laughs> thank you. It's great. Yeah. Well, John from Tale of the Manticore, thanks so much for joining us. Jay, thank you so much. It's been so fun to finally meet you face to face like this. Because um, I've had your voice in my ear now for a long, long time. So actually getting to a chance to talk is a real treat. Thank you so much. Roleplay Rescue is all about helping folk find a way back to the gaming table. As such, I need to hear from you about the barriers you face, the questions you have, or the reactions you feel to the things I talk about. Because we're an Anchor podcast, you can call in using the link in the show notes and via anchor.fm slash rpgrescue. That said, in the modern world, we generally own mobile devices with microphones, and you can easily open up a voice recorder app 
share ideas, and then email the MP3 or whatever file format to me via hello at rpgrescue.com. Links are in the show notes, but I would love to hear from you. I want to include your voice in Roleplay Rescue. I want to hear about your challenges, your questions, and your thoughts, so that together we can make this journey towards better gaming. Go on, you know you have something to say. Thanks in advance for your contribution. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Roleplay Rescue. Thanks again to John from Tale of the Manticore for coming to talk about his podcast, Not Quite Solo Gaming, and his story. It really was inspiring to me to connect with John via Zoom, catching him as I did in his classroom at the end of a busy teaching day, and talk about what inspired his show. If you want to know more, check out taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. I'll stick the link in the doobly-doo show notes thingy. Before I go, I want to say a big thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Thank you for keeping the faith and standing with me as my torchbearers, shieldbearers and swordbearers. You guys make all the difference. Thank you to you too, dear listener, for downloading this episode and indulging John and I in our passion for role-playing games. If you do, like John, find yourself wanting to get back to the table, then we are right here, cheering you on. I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on! Game on!